John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And joining us is Sean Salisbury for some four downs. And so, Sean, what, how do you kind of sum up the first week of the regular season? Bad tackling. Yeah. Offenses were... Offenses seem to be further along, John, than, than I would have expected. A couple of the really good teams yawned their way to victories like Kansas City and Baltimore really had no threat. And some easy plays missed that cost games. I mean, Drew Locke's got to hit that one, that sprint right throwback screen to the tight end, and uh, and he will. I think he's going to be a good player. And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, you, you can't miss throws, especially when you're not taking shots. You've got to take a shot. I know his receivers were down. But on that double move go, you've got to make those plays. And that the Indianapolis Colts uh, may have thought that the players on Jacksonville were tanking, but the players don't tank. Front offices might, and Gardner Minshew was sensational. This is going to be a fun run, and I think we're going to have a few teams that we laughed at in the offseason that are going to disrupt the picture, and we have some really, really good teams at the top. And that Russ Wilson was my pick this season going in, John, as the MVP. He did nothing to discount that. We're going to have one hell of a race at the top for that award. He and Rodgers, Mahomes, it's going to be a fun run. And for a guy who's never got a vote, I'm going to stick with Russ this year and say he wins it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I thought that was, because last year, particularly with the way things finished, I mean, it turned out to be the young quarterbacks in the AFC, the Lamar Jacksons, the Deshaun Watsons, the Patrick Mahomes. But this year, it starts out, and I go with three NFC quarterbacks that are all older, and that's Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and then Drew Brees beating Tom Brady. Yeah, you're talking about yeah, the old folks are saying it's not so fast, my friend, to, to, for our guy Lee Corso. They are, and the key is, John, is that they are, they use their talent, they spread the ball, they don't take for granted, you know, they understand open coverage and how to read defenses. And while young guys head after their first read goes to the pass rush and they don't, they're not patient in the pocket, all three of those guys you named are willing to go through their progressions and get to the second and third guy and then take off. And it bore itself out this weekend with three big victories for all three of those teams. Let's get going with four downs. First down, which team's week one loss is the most concerning? Um, for me, I, I, the Colts' defense, I, I thought that they were that they were horrible. I mean, they, they're better than that. they got to be better than that. And I, and I don't ever like to overreact. Whether you're, I'm not crowning the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl champions or Baltimore. I'm not burying a team like the Indianapolis Colts yet. But it was a putrid loss the way they lost. And, and I didn't think it was good. And Phillips got to protect the ball. But they, they got to play better defense. Gardner Minshew looked like a Hall of Famer. And he's a good player. Hell, he's better than some of these guys that were picked in the first round, at least with his progressions. That was one. And the Cleveland Browns, even though it was the Baltimore Ravens, continue to look like the Browns. Dis, I mean, disenfranchised, disillusioned, uh, out of sync. They're, 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 Baker Mayfield's got to play better. That team's got too much talent to be floundering around. But the Colts was alarming because of what we think about them going into the season. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you're right about the uh, Colts because the Colts, I thought, with Phillip Rivers going to win 11 games, and he, he had some good numbers. He did some good things. But yep. to go against a Jacksonville team that, you know, they added you know two practice squad guys. So of the 55 players that they had, 
18 of them were rookies and six of them were undrafted guys. And Garner Minshew against a, a Colts defense that added DeForest Buckner uh, ended up, you know, basically he completed, what, 95% of his passes. Now, I know that Russell Wilson yeah. hit 31 to 35, 88.3. I don't, is there, I, there's, there's only been like three quarterbacks that completed 95% of his passes, 19 to 20. Yeah, and John, real quick on that one, the, the, his incompletion was early in the game, should have been caught. He was actually, should have been 20 for 20 on the game, and uh, how quickly he tried to remind everybody he's not willing to give up that position just yet. Good for Jacksonville. Oh yeah, no doubt. Good for Doug Marone. On the other side, which team's week one win was the most encouraging? I'm always for when I see a team like I think Arizona's scary, John. You know that they were one. They were kind of my in vogue pick to disrupt the playoff picture going into this season. I they were they're really talented on especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I was proud of Ron Rivera's Washington football team. I was especially with what Ron's going through, all the changes, Haskins, you know, winning the job in, in training camp. I was impressed with them. I thought Josh Allen in Buffalo were really, really impressive. Even though I expected they'd win, it's the way he looked efficient with 70% completion rate. So any of those teams, Jacksonville's was the, was the most impressive with that. But as far as at the top of the heap, um, I don't see in the AFC, you better be awfully good because you didn't see but about 70% Ravens good stuff and about 70% Chiefs good stuff. And they're better than most teams playing 80% or 75% than most are at 100% in the AFC. You're going to have to be awfully good to beat them. And, and some teams just look like some teams. And I was impressed with the way Tennessee played last night. But Baltimore and Kansas City in the AFC proved to be the class. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no question. And, uh, you know, those top AFC teams, you know, Pittsburgh kind of muddled through the game, you know, got the win. Uh, they're still right up top. But I was, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna throw some things at Buffalo right now. Now, I know that uh, the Jets aren't formidable. In fact, right now, they're one of the worst teams in football. But I thought that uh, Josh Allen did some good things. And they let him throw. I mean, what did he throw, over 40 mm-hmm. passes? That was pretty Pretty impressive. He's got a great arm. He's got a great receiving group. And if they can just do what they did and score points, which is something that he's not been able to do, they're going to be formidable and they will win the division. Third down, Tom Brady had his share of struggles on Sunday. So was his week one performance a sign of things to come or just a hiccup? No, aberration. I've seen this movie too many times, and I know last year in a bad season he threw for 4,000 yards when he had to babysit a bunch of receivers. They just weren't any good. Too many weapons. It's not His fastball isn't 80 miles an hour. Tom can still throw the ball. They Let's not forget who they played. They played the overwhelming, at least going in, prognosticators NFC favorite. Between Seattle and New Orleans Saints, they were the majority of teams picked to win the Super Bowl in the NFC or go to the Super Bowl. So it's the Saints. You played a really good team on both sides of the ball. Um, Tom missed some plays, but there's too many weapons. They're too well coached. Brady's too well prepared. Uh, I still believe not only that they're a playoff team, but they're a threat once they get into January. Once it starts to go and they get going, Tom will be fine. He missed some plays that he'd like to have back, but this is more aberration. And, hey, listen, he's not going to play like he did when he was 32. He doesn't need to. He hasn't had these kind of weapons in a decade in New England. He'll settle in. They got beat by the best team in the NFC, or at least one of the two, in my opinion. Um, And maybe the Packers are pretty good, too, with Aaron Rodgers. But 
they lost to a good team. Tom Brady's team will win a lot of games this year, and he'll be fine. Yeah, I think. But again, I think what it did show that they're still more of a wild card than they are a division winner, and that's more because of the Saints. You know, I still look at the Bucks being like a ten or eleven win team. You know, you got Tom Brady, and I contend this is the most talented group of skill position players he's ever been with. Because one thing that Bill Belichick is maybe one of his flaws is he doesn't draft well at the receiver position. You know, he has to kind of scramble around and then eventually get veterans. But I, what you like about this is that. He's got the best one-two wide receiver punch, three tight ends, three running backs. He'll be fine, but again, it was just a wake-up call that the Saints are better. Speaking of the Patriots, is Cam Newton the long-term answer quarterback for New England? Premature. The only reason why I say premature is because i, I got to make sure he stays healthy because when you run it as often as he did, he's going to take hits. He's not like a Kyler Murray who's a miss-me guy, or Lamar Jackson, that they, they, they get skinny in the hole. This is a big cap out. It's a big dude. He's going to take I mean, you've got an outside linebacker that plays quarterback and is that skilled. So he's going to take hits now. And he's not, and, and Cam's not a great slider. He's, he's going to come up and hit you. So they, they wear on you, and he's been beat up. If he can last, uh, he's getting another contract, whether it's with the New England Patriots or somewhere else, especially when you looked at I love the adjustment. Not only look what Belichick did in his first. If they make the playoffs this year, Bill Belichick's the coach of the year with all the opt-outs, but Cam Newton adjusted with some accuracy that he got a little bit of that from North Turner in Carolina, but Josh McDaniels had to change his game plan. This is a pocket-passing, sideways, horizontal team with Tom Brady mix in the vertical. Cam likes to push the ball down the field and wants to beat you on the edge with his feet. Well, Josh has never had a guy like this at quarterback. Tebow, but I'm talking about a legitimate guy for a long period of time. He's got Cam, so he had to adjust his game, which kind of, revitalized him. I thought Cam executed it great. He was accurate with the football. He ran when he needed to, was patient, and did not force stupid plays. If he can continue like this and stay healthy, the Patriots will be a threat in the division just because, and they got Belichick, and Cam Newton will get another contract. It's not going to be $30 million. Twenty-five million dollars, but he will get paid if he stays healthy throughout a season. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the thing that I think that uh, you know you you like, <clears throat> and he keeps him competitive. But I think just Buffalo has such a bigger edge. I get a chance on Sunday night to see the Patriots take on the Seahawks, and there's been a lot of real good games with uh, certainly Cam Newton going up against Russell Wilson. But you know when you really think about it, here he comes in, and he's got less skilled position players than maybe he had in uh, Carolina. I mean, he doesn't have a Greg Olson. You know, he doesn't have a uh, you know Christian McCaffrey or some of the running backs that have been through there so but we'll see how they can try to do it's on the road I think Cam's going to come up with a pretty good uh, game because again I think he's a good player and I think next year though I think he's going to be playing someplace else which of course yeah John it may be the case especially with Stidham if he can step yeah. his game up or they go into the draft but Bill will have them competitive every week, and if Cam can keep them in games, it'll be fun to watch. Well, it really is going to be fun, and it's always fun to have four downs with Sean Salisbury. Sean, looking forward to being with you on Friday. John, great to be with you, brother. Thank you. All right, thank you, and you can listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we get out the report card on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. It's the John Clayton Show, and, of course, Texas at 710-710. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for... The Report Card with the Professor. In the Report Card, we get out every day. We look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories. We take the anecdotes. We take the social media comments and the voices, and we attach a grade to them. And, of course, uh, we do that every day. And so uh, let's take a look and see what we have and uh, on the Report Card. 
Well, John, let's get started with, uh, I'd say, some breaking news within the last half hour or so in Major League Baseball. The 2020 postseason locations have been announced, John, and the baseball will have multiple bubbles throughout. The wild card round will start on September 29th, and they will take place in the cities of Arlington, Texas, Houston, Texas, San Diego, California, and Los Angeles, California. So those will be the four cities for the wild card round in the division series. And then the championship series will be taking place in Arlington, Texas, and San Diego. And then the World Series will take place in Arlington, home of the Texas Rangers. Uh, John, one interesting wrinkle about the postseason is that there will be no days off. They will play five-game series and seven-game series all the way through because they don't need travel days. They're going to be in the same city. So how are we grading baseball's official postseason bubble? Well, I mean, at least they got a plan. It's better than how they uh, kind of finished the uh, negotiations to figure out how the protocols were going to be and all that, and they get it done, you know, what, 12, 15 days before the end of the, uh, you know, the season, so I think, or 12 days before the end of the season, so I think that's good. You know, again, it's kind of tough to be able to have to go out there every day, but it's pretty much what most teams have had to do, even though, again, you you have cancellations and you have COVID test testing and all that stuff, so I'm going to give it a B plus. I think at least this is a better plan than they had going in. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to give it a B as well. Uh, one interesting thing I'm going to be watching for during the playoffs is how teams manage their starting rotations because with the off days, teams were able to use their game one starter in either games four or five, uh, pitch them on three days rest, what have you. Now you're probably going to have to go with most of your rotation, especially if there are no days off in between. So your game one starter. Uh, I mean, you could pitch him on three days rest as you normally would uh, in the playoffs, but you know that's going to be very taxing. You could only use a starter maybe once or twice maximum in a seven-game series. The, the the chess match between pitching staffs is going to be very interesting, especially with the no days off during the playoffs. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how teams are able to manage that. John, also on the report card today, the Pac-12 yesterday was uh, you know, maybe tipping their hand a little bit as when they try to come back to play college football. Heather Dinich of ESPN reported that she is hearing mid-November as uh, a possibility. Here's what she had to say. I was told by a source today with knowledge of the discussions of the Pac-12's return that their earliest targeted dates is between mid-November and late November. A lot of that has to do with the timetable in terms of the new tests that are going to be on each campus by the end of this month, but they've got to teach people how to use those tests. They've got to know the testing protocol. And then you have the public health concerns in the state of California and Oregon, where six schools currently couldn't even have contact practice if they wanted to. They have to be clear to practice, let alone play, before those presidents and chancellors in the Pac-12 reconvene for another vote for their return. So mid-November, kind of the target date right now for the Pac-12 that probably put the end of their season around, I'd say, January or February. Uh, How are we grading a mid-November start for the Pac-12? I'll give it a a B 
a B because again we all want football more this year and certainly you have to say and again again the people making the decisions particularly the commissioner I mean of the Pac-12 I mean he gets an F constantly because you know he now basically is like crawling back uh, now that the Big Ten has you know pushed their efforts to try to come back and play and so he's coming doing it a little bit later but uh, you know overall I think why not give it a chance I think it's going to be a good thing to do it so let's give it a B. Yeah, and, and I hope they're able to come up with a solution that doesn't push their season back to you know April or, or May or anything like that, especially with how much of an overlap that would be to the NFL offseason, the NFL draft. You know, Players are going to need game tape out there, especially guys who are on the fringe of getting drafted or not. Uh, and hopefully they can get some tape out there before the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, so hopefully we can see some college football on the West Coast before then. Uh, John, also on the report card today, Pro Football Talk, Mike Florio, he he's stirring the pot a little bit. Uh, on Sunday, or on uh, yeah, Sunday Night Football this last uh, weekend, talked about Seattle's play calling early on in the game and how Russell Wilson was instrumental in that, but also throwing some rumors around, too. He told Sims and me at the Super Bowl he wants greater urgency from the offense earlier in the games. He said it again recently, and he told me he's made that clear to the team, and we saw that manifest itself today. The saying has been, let Russ cook, and they let him cook. As one source close to Wilson told me today, if they don't let him cook, it's going to be time to start baking his farewell kick. What? They, they, if they don't let Russell Wilson cook, and in, in, mm-hmm. then Russ would leave. John, he just signed a new deal. Yeah, this is the yeah. first year of that contract. Uh, what is Mike Florio talking about? Uh, the typical Mike Florio. It's like uh, he has no grasp on what's going on as far as this, and particularly this situation. I'm sure he's getting it probably from uh, the uh, his Russell's agent, the baseball uh, guy. Which uh, because but only Florio could come up. Maybe Colin Coward could do the same thing. Here's the greatest day uh, of a quarterback, one of the greatest days in NFL history. You know, it completes 83.3 percent of his pass, 88.3 of his passes. You know, he has four touchdown passes. He's, I'm sure, he's going to be voted as the uh, offensive player of the week in the NFC. And so now, Flory has to turn it into a negative. It's like, oh yeah, well he demanded this. Well, no. It worked against the Falcon off defense. It's terrible at the cornerback position. You know, you knew that there was going to be uh, a little bit more an escalation about getting some plays early. So it's like he makes this a threat, and there's no threat. It's ridiculous. He gets an F minus. Yeah, he gets an F. Any coordinator and coach worth their salt going up against that Falcons defense knows you throw the ball against that secondary. Right. That secondary is garbage. It is basura. And, uh, yeah, you throw it and you throw it and you throw it some more, and that's what the Seahawks did because they know they have the one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in the NFL. And uh, it turned out great for them on Sunday. And, and heck, if they want to keep throwing it, go right ahead. You have Russell Wilson at your, at your disposal, so might as well use him in that way. And uh, I just I don't think there's any truth to that kind of rumor that Florio's throwing around out there. You know, oh, it'll be bye-bye Russell Wilson if they don't throw it so much. Uh, I don't know. He signed two contracts with the uh, Seahawks after his rookie deal so mm-hmm. far. It, it seems to me like he enjoys being here. Uh, I, I, I don't see where anything like that is coming from. He has no grasp of the situation. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, and then finally, John, some minor news in Major League Baseball. The New York Mets are getting sold 
but it will not be to Alex Rodriguez's group and, and J-Lo. They will not own the New York Mets. They're going to billionaire Steve Cohen uh, taking over from the Wilpon family. He's buying a 95% share of that team. So, John, how are we grading Major League Baseball not uh, adding Alex Rodriguez to its stable of, of owners? Uh, I'll give it a, you know, a, a C. I mean, because, again, it's like, okay, uh, it's it's still tough. It's one where, I mean, at least I get a 95% owner that uh, has all the money. Rodriguez has a lot of money, too. It's sad that, you know, he doesn't get a chance to buy it. Uh, but overall, I think it's, it's right down the middle. It's a C. It's just a transaction. And, again, the Mets have to get better. They need better management, certainly. That's for sure, because they've been a mess the last couple years so i think that uh, we'll give it a c yeah i'll give it i mean anybody can be anybody's got to be better than the wilpon family owning the mets they've been a, a disaster ever since taking over uh, i know they were involved in like the bernie madoff scandal so i mean anybody that is not involved in that i think you got to take a, a good look at and so hopefully things will get better for the mets i, I know jessamine mcintyre probably isn't sad to see the wilpons go uh but yeah tough tough beans for uh, alex rodriguez and j-lo there but i'm sure they'll get over it they've got they, they've got a lot of money at their disposal no doubt and of course, uh, you know, we're going to come back and now we're going to get, that's the report card. So now coming back, we are taking your text questions at 710-710 on the Busy Heart Seltzer text line. Text away. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. We are taking your text questions at 710-710 on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. And so, Curtis, what do we have? John, let's get it started from the 509. They want to know what did you think of Brandon Shell's performance on Sunday? I thought it was okay. I mean, again, it's a you know it's a good start. I mean, certainly you know, some pass blocking has to improve, but uh, you know it's you know the one thing is what you didn't hear, even though you heard it twice with Damian Lewis, was the penalties because that's one thing that was a real problem for what uh, you had with Jermaine Effetti. He was always among the league leaders, or most uh, particularly in his four years, more penalties than just about anybody else. I thought he had a pretty clean game, and I think. He's an upgrade. This one from another 509 number. They want to know, hey, John, Quentin Dunbar didn't look so good to me on Sunday. Am I overlooking anything in his play? Uh, he's he's just coming back. It's You're overreacting. I mean, that's that's the thing that I think that uh, you can't do because, remember, he's missed so much time. He struggled early. He got into a little bit of a rhythm late. But, again, it's like uh, he'll be fine. It's like, uh, you know, they you know you have Matt Ryan, you have Julio Jones, and they were going to pass the ball. But what was it? In the first half, they had like 160. 50, 60 yards, but they got 200 and some in the second half. Don't worry about it. He'll be fine. This one comes to us from the 206. They want to know, John, do you think Zach Banner will be able to return this year? Uh, No. He's got a torn ACL, so he's done for the year, unfortunately. Yeah, that's unfortunate. He's from the area. He's from Tacoma. Went to Mm -hmm. Lakes High School. Shout out. From the 253, they want to know, John, do you think, or who do you think gets more carries in week two, Travis Homer or DJ Dallas? Uh, right now, you think it's going to be Homer because I think they're going with more of the experience, uh, and that's what's going to be the case. I mean, you know, certainly he's got more of a chance if he's going to be on the active roster as opposed to the uh, inactive roster. So I'd say right now it would be Homer over DJ, but once you get to see him, you're going to like him. 
Speaking of DJ Dallas, this one from the 425, they want to know why were Alton Robinson and DJ Dallas healthy scratches? Because they wanted to go with more experience. I think that's that's the trend that you have right now in the National Football League, you know, that you want to have a little bit more of the experienced guys out there and uh, you know, then the young guys can come in as time goes on. 206 wants to know, John, what did you make of Jadevian Clowney in his Titans debut? Uh, it was okay. I mean, you know, he's a little obviously behind because he didn't have a training camp in that. I mean, three tackles, no sacks, uh, you know, a few less disruptive plays, but it was it was an okay start. I mean, the fact that he was out there for more than 50 plays, I thought was good. 208 wants to know, John, why didn't we see a lot of Ugo Amadi on Sunday? Uh, because they've got uh, they've got other cornerbacks that they're using. I mean, you didn't see much of Ugo Amadi because now he's lost that uh, job to Marquise Blair, and if Blair is going to be the main guy, I mean, you know, all, what you're going to see for Amadi is maybe he gets to come in in dime situations, uh, but and then Trey Flowers was able to get ten plays, and so unfortunately, Ugo is not going to be getting a lot of playing time except on special teams. Yeah, I thought Blair played really well on Sunday. Seven tackles, had the forced fumble. Mm-hmm. It's looking good. From the two five three, they want to know, John, will Philip Dorsett be ready to go? I think so. I don't see any reason why not. I mean, he's uh, you know got the chance to uh, you know be healthier, and so I think that uh, they did take the chance. And I know that Pete Carroll even said that yesterday that he was actually pretty close to being able to be available. So no, I think he's going to be fine. Nine one six wants to know, John, Minnesota's defense has to get better, right? You would think so, yeah. I mean, it, it was horrible. I mean, I thought, and again, I, well, of course, the big problem was they couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback, and some of that is going to be there for a couple of weeks because Daniel Hunter is on the injured list, and so he's not available. And so because of that, you know, you had nothing out of Unique and Dockway because they double him, and the offensive line did a pretty good job for the Packers. So, yeah, it was a pretty bad start. From the 253, they want to know has Jamal Adams passed Bobby Wagner as Seattle's best defensive player? Uh, repeat that again. Has Jamal Adams passed up Bobby Wagner as Seattle's best defensive mm, player? Let's give it. Uh, let's you know, give it a little bit more time. But boy, is he good! I mean, they're both good. I mean, <clears throat> that's like you know the argument is like, okay, who's the better Hall of Fame candidate, Earl Thomas or Richard Sherman or Bobby Wagner or Russell Wilson? It's like, okay, I mean, Jamal at the early stages of his career looks like a budding chance to be you know one of the real good ones, one of the Hall of Fame type guys, but the, the right now, what he doesn't have is the longevity that's there for uh, a real good one in uh, Bobby Wagner. Well, and Wagner looked amazing on Sunday as well. Oh, I yeah, mean, they he both was good. He, he was really good. Uh, this one from the two hundred six, John. They want to know: Did Seattle's defense look more physical to you than they did a year ago? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, you can see it particularly in the secondary. I mean, now you go into the middle of that secondary with a pass catch, you're going to get banged up. I mean, you saw how they were physical against Matt Ryan. No, this is a much more – what they wanted was speed and violence, and they got both. The 907 wants to know what part of New England's team is the biggest threat to Seattle on Sunday? Uh, I would say right now the running game because you've got uh, Cam Newton who knows this team real well. You've got uh, a real good one in uh, you know a good a good group of running backs and I, I and but the best the best unit they have is their three coverage cornerbacks. Those guys are really really good. From the 36L, they want to know do you think Leonard Fournette is going to become Tampa's starting running back soon? Not initially. I'd say it's going to take a couple weeks because he just got there and they like what they see of Ronald Jones and you have Shady McCoy as the uh, pass-catching guy, so that's still to be determined. 
from this one comes to us from the 253. They want to know what did you make of Raiders rookie Henry Ruggs' debut? Well, it was okay. I mean, you know, particularly with all the young receivers that they uh, had, you know, because they had so many injuries, and so they had to be extra young at the receiving core. So, no, I thought he did pretty well. Yeah, he had that long 45-yard reception. That was about the highlight of his day. He had three receptions. So, I mean, I'll take a 45-yard reception, oh, yeah. reception any day of the week. From the 253, John, they want to know, how did you think Ethan Posick did on Sunday? Uh, great. I thought he did very well. I mean, he looked very natural, had line in control. And I know that uh, Brock Hewitt, when asked what guys made the biggest jump from 219 to now, that's the guy that he mentioned first. And I'll go with what Brock said. This one comes to us from, let's see, from the 253. They want to know, John, uh, any concerns about Jaron Reed going forward? No, why? I mean, it's like uh, a, he's. I mean, you know, they 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 stopped the run. I mean, you didn't have Gurley doing hardly anything. Now, a part of that was because they were so far behind. But I don't see any problem with Jaron Reed. He's in great shape. He looks good. Uh, I think. I mean, it's, isn't it amazing? I mean, I know everybody's been waiting for so long here, but it's like now we're being critical of one of the good starting wins, the best starting win on the road in Pete Carroll's tenure. And it's like, okay, what's what's wrong with Jaron Reed? It's like, hey, come on. It's the first game. Yeah, that's one of the most complete wins we've seen the Seahawks have in, in a few years here. And especially in week one makes it all the more impressive. No preseason either. Uh, hard to find anything, you know, super bad about what happened on right. Sunday. I mean, you're kind of grasping at straws here if if you're if you're angry about what you saw on Sunday for the Seahawks from the 206, John. Uh, the Washington football team defense, did they surprise you on Sunday? Not with what they did on the defensive line, you know, because, again, they've got five first-round picks in the last five years, including a guy that I think can be better than Nick Boza and Chase Young. So, no, that doesn't surprise me. And particularly, they went against an Eagle team that was missing three starters on the offensive line. So, no, I thought they did great. From the 509, they want to know John... Is Cleveland's running game worse than we thought, or is Baltimore's defense better than we thought? Uh, Baltimore's defense is better than we thought. I mean, because you know they had Calais Campbell, they got Derek Wolf. I mean, you add those two guys to a very talented defense. Now again, they still have you know, they, they haven't really got the upgrade from Earl Thomas, but no, I think they look really good. And then John, this one comes to us from the three six zero. We'll wrap it on this one. They want to know. Uh, how dangerous is Cam Newton going up against the Seattle's defense? Well, he's da- dangerous because he's he's a talented quarterback who can do a lot of good things, and so you would just have to watch and see, uh, you know, what what type of things he can do. But now the question is, you know, can he score points? Because it's nice to be able to run the ball and get the running average and all those different things. But the key is score points because that's the one thing that Seattle is going against a uh, team in New England. That's down, you know, it has four new uh, top four linebackers gone from last year. Danny Shelton's gone from last year. Two out of their top three safeties are down. Uh, And again, Miami's not a good test for them. You know, they've been dominating Miami for 20 years. And so overall, I think what you can see is that uh, they'll have a chance right now to, you know, hold them down and keep, you know, keep them under 20 points. That's it for text questions. Okay, and of course, uh, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. Professor's Notes brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at 5. Coming up next, our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Crosby. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Time for our Daily Dose of the Gras with Dave Crosby. And so, David, uh, now we have the Pac-12 
starting to reverse course, which, of course, not surprising with uh, Larry Scott running it. And uh, with the testing that they're able to get, uh, which is economical, it can be done daily. They may be able to start playing football by mid-November. I'll be curious to see if they do it. That's the, I, I, according to the, the sources on that, that's the most aggressive return target date possible. But I agree with you. So it's, um, I think they're waiting, um, as I'm looking at it, uh, for, uh, for California and Oregon health officials to talk, and they won't even do a vote until then. So they're not there yet, but uh, they're talking about it. Yeah, but at least that's encouraging because now at least the, the thought of doing it, uh, you know, what, what cautions do you think should be there? John, it beats me. I mean, uh, you know, you saw a story today where, where Oregon's, excuse me, uh, Ed Ogeron, the head coach of LSU, said half his players have, have, have tested positive, he thinks, although they're not necessarily reporting. So, you know, it's it's about how uh, the individual schools and conferences feel about safety, feel about guys catching the virus, feel about staff and coaches who are probably more uh, susceptible to serious illness, uh, you know, feel about dealing with it as well. So, uh, I really, uh, you know, there, there's no coordination in college sports at all. NCAA has completely abdicated that. So it's, it's, it's basically it's whatever the conferences feel for themselves. Yeah, which is bizarre, isn't it? I mean, what, what a, what a I mean, bizarre. Completely. It's, uh, you know, that's why you got some of them playing, some of them not playing, and you're kind of wondering why some of them are playing at this point. Yeah, and again, there's, I mean, and that's the thing that's so strange is that, uh, you know, so many schools have so many problems, and it just all of a sudden, I mean, that spread can just almost go through. Is it what if Michigan State had, they had to quarantine the entire qu- college last week? Well, yeah, so you remember college, John. I mean, you know, it, it's not a place that, that, especially when you're on your own, you're going to take something like that seriously. You, you feel, uh, you feel uh, invincible when you're in college, so it's certainly not a surprise that the schools that have gone back, you know, in most cases they've had they've had explosions in cases. And, and again, you know, the the bigger concern for most is is two things: one, it's 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 the coaches, uh, administrators, teachers, etc., and then the fact that you don't really know if there are long-term uh, hazards in this thing. Yeah, so very very bizarre. In the meantime, the uh, you, you you can dream about it. Mariners are still a game and a half out of first, or at least out of uh, behind Houston for yeah. a playoff spot. Uh, <clears throat> what do you think? Well, it was a pretty remarkable day yesterday. I mean, first it was surprising they played because the air is so bad. Yeah. Then they fall behind five nothing in that first game, and it looks like you know the A's are just going to drill them, and they make a a tremendous comeback. And then the second game, of course, they got wiped out. But you had a catch by Kyle Lewis that, that was junior esque in, in so many ways of his catch off. Jesse Barfield in, in New York uh, way back in the day. I mean, they showed the videos side to side. Everyone, I'm sure, has seen them on Twitter now, and they're, it's just fantastic. Even though they wound up losing the game 9 nothing, that's the highlight you take away. And Houston lost again. So, you know, you're 12 games uh, to go and then a game and a half out, and you're playing a San Francisco team for two games. It's, it's in a similar spot. So it's uh, it's been a remarkable season for the Mariners. It really has. Yeah, it really is. I mean, four games below 500. In fact, <clears throat> I don't know. I thought they were going to be 22 and 38, not 22 and 30 and 26. What, what, what was? I can't remember what you had them at. Uh, I was along your lines of thinking, John. I mean, I just you know didn't think that this year was going to amount to anything in terms of record. It was it was more about you know advancing prospects and and kind of you know wincing at the fact that some guys weren't going to get the, the full year down in the minors. Uh, uh, you know they've they've done this uh, still to a degree with mirrors. I mean. They have the worst bullpen in, in the major leagues by the numbers, and it was a bullpen start in the second game against Oakland, and they all got roughed up. So, 
you know, it was a doubleheader and they had to do what they had to do. So it's, um, it's, it, the Mariners are doing it with, um, with, with some surprising pieces. Certain ones, you know, you're not surprised at and, and you're impressed by and, and others you just weren't expecting. So it's just, it's the sort of thing that happens more often in baseball than any other sport. A team can get hot and hitting, pitching, uh, playing well can be infectious. And uh, no, no pun intended, of course. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's kind of working out for them. Yeah, just it's pretty amazing. But it's it's been a fun yeah. uh, fun ride so far. And you know the pitching has well, been better. We got a bunch of teams like that in baseball, John. I mean, the Giants, you know, traded Madison Bumgarner before the year started. They weren't expected to do anything. They made some deadline deals. The Mariners made deadline deals too, by the way. I mean, the Marlins have been in it. Uh, you know, the White Sox and Padres were teams that they figured were were on the move up, and and they they have been, but. You know, you're seeing something, something of a changing of the guard, perhaps. Although you still got, you still got the Dodgers, you still got the teams to beat up there at the top. But, but you've got a lot of exciting uh, other teams in uh, benefiting by the 60 game season. No, no doubt, and it's been, uh, it's been fun. And so, uh, we'll see how far they can take it. And of course, uh, you know, and it, one thing is, even though they had the bad game in Game Two of the doubleheader, you know, it looks like they, they, they are playing Oakland better because, you know, at the beginning of the year, if they would have fallen five, five nothing behind. Uh, early or five nothing behind, it was going to be a ten nothing loss or nine nothing like it was in the second game. But they were able to come back and get six runs and win that game. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it's if, if in fact the unlikely happens and and the Dare to Dream Express, you know, comes into the station, you'll look at games like that as you know ones that you were you had you had pegged to, to lose and you didn't lose. So you need more games like that. They need more miracles and and uh, you know they're. In a, in a way, they're too young and dumb to know that they can't do it, which is a benefit to them. Oh, no doubt. And that's the uh, fun part about this whole uh, way of going. And, of course, it's been good. In the meantime, Seahawks come out healthy. No real serious injuries in this one. There's a bunch of serious ones around the league. How would you kind of sum up this uh, week one of the NFL season? Well, John, it, it definitely, in, in, in my case, you know, I, I, I look at it in two ways. One, you don't need preseason football games, period, end of story, and we can discuss that at length later. But the biggest take that I have coming out of it is that the home field advantage is not going to be there. I mean, you know, weather might make a difference, but but home field advantage is not going to be a thing in the NFL with, with, you know, the crowd noise they're using. Certainly not the same thing at all. Uh, Defenses are going to play better on the road than they normally do. So, you know, my biggest takeaway, besides the fact that I thought the play was really well, uh, was the fact that I, I think home field is, is, is not going to be that important. You know, uh, just because, you know, the crowds are, are, are the crowd noise, is, which is normally a huge factor in the NFL, is just not a factor now. Mm-hmm. No, it's 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 a it's a different situation, no question about it, and one that uh, you know we'll see uh, you know if you can generate it, and of course you know maybe as the season goes on, they can get some more fans in the stands. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what they wind up deciding to do, and and that would make a difference, obviously. And you know, it's something that the, you know, most teams you know really count on, and, and certainly you know in the case of the Seahawks, for example, a team that truly benefits from it. And and uh, you know, it, it, but we'll see. I mean, you know, I thought you know the other the other takeaway was, you know, the NFL Sunday felt uh, for the first time, even though there weren't fans in the stands, uh, it was a normal day. You know, I think for a lot of sports fans, it was a normal day. Uh, you, know, you got up. You had the early game on. You, you had NFL Red Zone on. You had games going on all all afternoon. Uh, you know, with a chance to to truly just get yourself immersed in the National Football League and and forget about other, all the other stuff that's going on. And in particular, up here and on the West Coast with all the smoke and everything. You're when you're stuck inside. You know, when it's Sunday and you're watching the NFL, you want to be inside. So 
I thought it was a real, a real, um, a real taste of normalcy. Uh, that 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 definitely stuck out to me as well. Well, of course, it's always great and have the normal case of our daily dose of the Gros with Dave Grosby. Dave, uh, stay out of the smoke and have yourself a good day. <laughs> All right, John. We'll talk tomorrow. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow at ten. It's the John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.